to episode 396 of Cinematary. I'm your host, Zach Dennis, and I'm here with... Andrew Swafford. Cam Watson. And in today's episode, we'll be talking about movies that we saw this week in part one. And in part two, we will be taking a very controversial stand. <laughs> I am so sorry to our fascist Cinematary listeners, but we are I'm talking... not. <laughs> but we are talking about a trio of anti-fascist... Or, or not anti-fascist, but like I look into the recent rise in fascism via YouTube videos. They're they're anti. Well, they are, but like they're even more just kind of a deep dive into figures of anti, of, of figures of fascism in modern profiles society. and anti profiles <laughs> in fascism yeah. and and yeah. opposition thereof. Exactly. Um, but before we talk about a bunch of fascists uh let's go ahead and jump into movies that we saw this week and andrew i'm gonna kick it off with you since you have the new release yeah so the new release in the indie sphere this week though it's getting played in multiplexes too um is the movie x by horror filmmaker ty west um who i think most people probably know for his movie uh the house of the devil which came out in 2009. Um, I, Covered on this podcast. I don't. Yeah, we've never done a part two dedicated to it, I don't think. But I yeah, talked did. about it. Wait, did we really? Because we did. It was our Greta Gerwig series. Greta Gerwig. This is yeah, why I'm go here, listen guys. to the Greta Gerwig series um, where we talked about her role in House of the Devil where she gets shot in the face. Um, but that's a really good movie. Um, that is a movie that is it feels like it's plucked from another time. Uh, Ty West does a really great job at capturing an old, like, late 70s, early 80s style of um, camera work and, and video effects. Um, and it it is not a movie that's really about a whole lot. It's just vibes. It's just kind of pure the mechanical lizard brain horror, and it's, it's done really, really, really well. Um, and he has kind of taken a bit of a break from horror movies as far as I know I think his last movie was a western uh, in a valley of violence in 2016 Um, and he's back uh, with X Um, it is an A24 distributed movie and um, when I heard that Ty West was making an A24 horror movie I was um, not quite sure how how to think about that because he is very much like one of these indie horror directors um that are are so like in vogue these days but he it wasn't necessarily as in vogue when he started doing it with house of the devil um and like the whole minimalist a24 horror house style thing um sort of got codified a bit later so i was wondering if ty west coming into the a24 stable would mean he would be trying to do that thing the the it comes at night hereditary witch thing um or if he would be bringing his own style to the table that that his own like kind of throwback retro style or something totally different um and i think it's kind of a combination of the latter two um he does a little bit of the well i should probably give the premise of the movie first before i talk about the the style of the movie. Um, this movie is kind of a riff on Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, it is about a group of pornographers, um, two actresses, one actor, a cinematographer, and a director um, who have rented out this um, like 
Mm, it's not like a cabin, but it's like a house that's on the property of this farmer guy. Um, it's and called an Airbnb. It's it's an Airbnb. Um, though I believe this is set in the past. If I yeah, this is set in the past. Uh, so there's not an Airbnb, but it's essentially an Airbnb. Um, and they're going to use this house they've rented to um, shoot a rural themed. Uh, porn film and they have not told this guy that they are going to shoot a porn film there um, and initially the the main conflict of the movie is they are you know trying to conceal the fact that they're shooting porn um, from this obviously very traditional conservative um, guy um, and then the movie turns on a dime about halfway through and then it becomes a slasher movie and I won't give um, a lot of details on how exactly the slashing happens but um, as somebody who typically is not a big creative kills guy like that's not what I'm going to horror movies for Um, and I do think I sometimes think that praising them is kind of icky um, there are some really great, like pretty much every kill in this movie is like memorable and spectacular. Um, so once it does get to the slasher part, um, there's a lot of fun to be had there. Um, but I think that both halves of this movie are like equally good and equally interesting in, in different ways. Um, I mentioned that he kind of plays with a little of the throwback, um, like vintage style, um, filmmaking here, but it's because it's a movie in a movie, you like see the porn that they're shooting that's the stuff that looks like it's plucked from another time and he does that really well everything else is a little bit more um like conventional what you would expect a modern horror movie to look like um though i think it's it's way less um interested in a lot of the like minimalist indie like symmetrical um, you know, one perfect shot sort of compositions um, that that are kind of really common in the genre these days. Um, instead, I think it it's almost doing kind of a James Wan-y sort of thing of like being really intentional about putting the camera in various places to maximize the fear of that moment or whatever. Um, there's there's a lot of thoughtful. Um, camera placements and camera moves and things like that. Um, one thing that like immediately sort of sets the tone for what he's going to be doing with the filmmaking of this is that um, the opening shot, I'm going to do my best to describe this, is like of the property that they're going to be um, they're going to be renting, um, but you're seeing it through a barn door. Like so, the camera is inside the barn. You're seeing the property from from through that doorway, and um, because of the where the door is placed, um, it looks like it's in a four by three aspect ratio, old old like seventies aspect ratio. And then as it zooms in, it becomes like the more modern thing, which is kind of just a fun. Um, they know what they're doing. Uh, wink at the audience. Um, but the movie is kind of full of stuff like that. Um, and I think that this movie is like really thematically interesting too. Um, it's very much about like um, the conservative repression of sexuality and like attitudes toward casual sex and porn. Um, the antagonists of the movie. This is not a this is not a slasher like a sex equals death slasher where um, people who are sexually uh, uh, promiscuous get punished for it Um, but the antagonists of the movie are people who very much like disagree with a more sexually liberated lifestyle and are kind of um, begrudgingly 
uh, or not begrudgingly, um, resentfully um, trying to, to kill off these, you know, young, free, uh, free thinking types. And uh, I've actually seen some reviews on Letterboxd take issue with the movie because of how the characters are quote unquote punished. And I saw a reviewer say that one particular character didn't deserve to be punished. I feel like that's kind of missing the point. Um, I think that like we are supposed to like this is a slasher movie. We're not kind of cheering for the the you know the dead teenagers to become dead teenagers. Um, it's actually a, a movie where like the fact that they're being killed is sort of a a moral tragedy um but it's still kind of thrilling to watch just because of how well it's shot and how good the actors are um so i thought this was really really good um last uh, it's it's been a while since i've seen an indie horror movie in a theater that that i thought was thrilling in this way um because again they've they've kind of become very samey they've become very cookie cutter um and I'll definitely recommend going to see it. Um, one quick postscript that I should have mentioned earlier is that um, there, it because it's kind of a meta movie, movie about people making a movie, um, there is sort of a Ty West character in it. But instead of it being a, you know, author insert, like here's the guy who's right about everything sort of character, like the, um, the horror nerd in Cabin in the Woods, um, the, the like pretentiousness of that character and like the fact that he is trying to make not just pornography but cinema is a is is some like it's taking it seriously this movie does think that you know pornography is a form of cinema and is a form of art which i think is i i is a point that i agree with Uh, but it's also kind of like taking the piss out of this guy who's maybe taking himself a little bit too seriously um, and like trying to bring some what he calls avant-garde or what felt to me kind of like French new wavy sort of editing techniques and stuff to the, uh, the porn that he's shooting. Um, So interesting movie, uh, like exciting movie in in kind of like a a accessible popcorn movie sort of way. Um, You know, all the thumbs up for me. How is, uh, how is uh, Mia Goth? Because I think you know, it's a, she's not generally a person they put. Yeah, this is um, either one of her first leading roles or her first leading role, and she does a really great job at it. Um, she's playing a character who is like, um, it, it meant to be seen as like extremely sexually alluring um which is not necessarily like the role that she's been typecast as in other movies she kind of gets typecast as sort of the the grimes-esque like weirdo looking person like in claire denise high life or something um but like she does a really really great job at at selling that and like creating a a sort of pathos for that character as well um which i think is is generally a thing that this movie does really well it also gives a lot of um empathy towards the antagonist as well in a way that I wouldn't expect but um, yeah I thought that Mia Goth did a really great job also Kid Cudi is in this movie (laughs) um, which uh, I didn't recognize him at the time because I guess I just didn't know what Kid Cudi looked like Um, but I thought that his acting was really impressive as well Um, so good good marks all around for me on X all right Uh, well and like you said that's in the theaters now so it seems like it's much more it's a 24 so it's getting a wider release than you would expect Mm -hmm. Um, well, cool. Uh, let's shift it over to uh, Cam, who's going to talk about all of his past lives. 
Uh, yeah. So, oh, so this is a movie that uh, y'all have talked about before, unlike the 200th episode or something, right? Yeah, 200 uh, episodes ago, we talked yeah, about it. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm going to bring up a 200 episode old movie here. Uh, recalling our past episodes. We're recalling past episodes. <laughs> uh, I watched. Um, Uncle Boonmi, who can recall his past lives. Oh, damn it. Uh, his past lives. You forgot the his. I think that's in there, right? It's in there. It's in there. All right, all right, uh, all right. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, what, 2011, 2010, something like that. That sounds uh, right. Um, it's a Thai movie by Apichapong. Uh, what's the last name? Apichapong. Where is Seth the Cool? Yeah, that guy. Um and uh, I have been, like, thinking about seeing this movie for a really long time. It's, like, sort of been something that's always been, I'll, I'll catch that, I need to catch that, I'll catch it eventually, uh, mm. type of thing. That's and, one of his past lives, is that he was eventually yeah. going to watch Uncle Boon Me. <laughs> I, uh, so me, me and uh, Swafford have been trying to kind of, like, chop through um, parts of our, of movies that we want to see and... Uh, watch list type of stuff uh, and you know we, we were talking about it and he was like well you haven't seen Uncle Boon Me so let's watch that um, and so we uh, along with Jesse and Jessica watched watched it last week and it was like way better than I thought it was going to be it's, it's kind of um, rare for me um, now for a movie to kind of be on my radar for a really long time and then when I do see it it kind of like it, it's it's still something that I, I don't know. If, to meet expectations is kind of rare, I guess. Uh, typically, if I'm like thinking about a movie for a really long time and hearing people talk about it and stuff like that, by the time I actually get around to seeing it, it's normally something that is kind of like diminished, I guess, in a way. Um, but that wasn't the case for this at all. It's uh, it's like. I don't know, to me, basically, like, a perfect movie. <laughs> I can't really, like, find very much about it that I didn't like. Uh, the if For the people who haven't heard the 200th episode where it was described much more colorfully, um, it's, a, it's about a guy who is, you know, having, like, renal and kidney failure and stuff like that, and he's sort of, like, approaching the tail end of his life. And it's just sort of meditating on that, but also... Not just that, but, like, what the connections people have with other people, but also the place that they're from and, like, kind of just, like, the earth itself more broadly and uh, and existing in the context of the time and place that you are uh, and juxtaposing that with other times and other places or other times in the same place. And it is kind of meditating on the uh, a thing that I think is really interesting uh, or have been very really interested in lately, which is like the framing kind of of like a ghost story, but it's not intended to be like scary, really. Uh, there are parts of Uncle Boomy that are kind of spooky. Um, One in partic- scene in particular yeah. is very uh, unsettling. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, you know, kind of like ghosts and shades of the past and all that are sort of like brushing in and out of like the forefront of the movie and they're normally not even like seen as like something to be startled at like they kind of walk in and you know see a ghost and they're like oh it's you what's up you know and so it's this concept of like not necessarily like a the friendly ghost thing but like an ambivalence and in some cases it is like a 
you know, like a shade that is a, a, a ghost of something that is attached to a person specifically because of like the intimacy of the really of a relationship they used to have. And I think that stuff like that is really interesting. And Uncle Boonmi does that in a way that I hadn't seen done before. And it's just this kind of warm, slow movie that uh, can really kind of like work its way into the back of your brain. And I have thought about it a whole lot since I've seen it. Um, yeah. I know both um, of y'all have seen it as well. So. Right. Yeah, I mean, Jack and I, I think, are both really big fans of it. Um, I'm wondering, though, Cam, as somebody who has watched a handful of, like, quote-unquote, slow cinema movies and watched some of them with me, um, I'm wondering how you feel, like, a Pitchapong style, like, feels similar or different to, you know, what you you tend to think of as slow cinema. Because he's definitely one of the biggest names in it. Yeah, um, so... I, I kind of thought going into it that it would be, it would be more similar to uh, other slow things that I have watched, um, and I, I was kind of surprised and pleasantly surprised at how different it really did feel for the most part, um, where I feel, it's something that I mentioned to you after we watched it, Andrew, is that like I feel sometimes that effectively and, and for good reason in, in some cases that like slow movies are often using time as a way to kind of like batter you or like wear you down in a certain way, get you to feel a certain kind of way. Uh, whereas with Boonmi, I don't know about the rest of Pitchapong's, you know, filmography because I haven't seen anything else of his, but the, the like, the slow pace of it and, you know, the lingering shots and the decision to like stay on, you know, scenes that other movies might cut away from and stuff like that it feels more like inviting and it feels more like lived in i guess whereas typically i see that sort of like slow pace thing deployed more not i don't want to say antagonistically but it's it's deployed in a way that is not supposed to be um it's supposed to be enjoyed a different way i guess like it's supposed to be enjoyed as a way that it is building this sort of atmosphere um and in this, it kind of just feels like somebody is, like, opening a door for you and letting you into their house. Um, it's very, like, welcoming and, um, and like, you just kind of feel like you get to settle into the movie because of that, because of the pace, as opposed to feeling kind of oppressed by the pace of it, I guess. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, the idea of feeling, like, trapped by a movie is, like, a thing that I think like you said, can be done for good effect. Like something like Jean Dillman, I think is uh, like the perfect example of, of how you can use that interestingly. Um, but a picture Pong's movies are, they just feel so like warm hearted and, uh, and, and like, I mean, they're sometimes about difficult subject matter. Um, but they're like tackling it in a way that kind of makes you kind of feel at peace with the whole yeah. thing. I mean, I think Boonmi is tackling pretty difficult subject matter too, you know? Mm. I mean, it's about a guy dying, really. Yeah. And and it's kind of about like his remorse for like the war crimes that mm-hmm. he committed in the past right. uh, as well. It, it's um it it is kind of sitting at the edge of something that I think could normally be interpreted as very very sad. And yeah. I think that there are parts of Boonmi that do feel a little sad, but I think for the most part it is kind of this, like, by the time you get to the inevitabilities of what the movie is setting up, 
you are as you are in the same mindset as he is, which is this kind of like acceptance of what's happening. Uh, and I think that that is really, really hard to do, like to make a movie where, you know, you're calling this shot essentially way down the line and you want the per- you want the audience to engage with, you know, this central character that has this tragedy thing going on. Uh, but you're not really trying to just like gut them at the end of it. You're trying to make them kind of go along this thing with him. Uh, it does uh, end with a pop song. It does. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it was really, really good. I, I really liked it. I am really excited to see more of his movies. Um, yeah. Memoria yeah. is coming to actual theaters soon. Um, we're getting it in June. Stoked for that. It'll be yeah. exciting to see it finally. <laughs> um, also, I think Uncle Boon Me, for people who have not seen any of his movies, is probably a good uh, good starting point if you're interested. I agree. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, and, and without like really talking about... I, I mean, I don't even know what the word spoiler would mean with regards to this movie, but there is a scene in particular that, yeah, <laughs> that I... Like, there is a part where this like this thing that has been like you know set up as like a monster a kind of like spooky thing in the woods uh one of them comes into his house and it sits down and has dinner with him and it is i mean for for like the 15 or so minutes that this is kind of the focus of the movie i was like this is the best movie I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I have never seen anything better than this. Like, this thing that is such a, like, this nasty goon that the movie has made so, seems so ominous, coming in and just kind of sitting down to eat dinner and then being like, the worst thing about him is kind of that he's just sort of, like, offbeat yeah. with the rest of the family. And he's kind of like, it's bright in here. Oh, my gosh, eyes they hurt. turn the lights off and they all just <laughs> so, sit in the dark with it. Yeah. Uh, because he's like oh my eyes yeah. and he's just I don't know I loved him so much and I I was I loved that scene me too that is so my favorite much. scene in the movie um, yeah. and this was my first time watching it with the um, my current TV setup I have a like a sound bar and some nicer speakers that I didn't have when I watched this before and the sound design I mean a pitch song where Seth Cool's sound design is always really good but in that scene in particular like he has this like droning like horror bass in the background that I, I noticed that I'd never noticed before that was just amazing um and and like kind of against that sort of drone when when the the ghost guy is talking he's got this very like slight little voice very soft he's very like very calm sounds very like calm and like every word he's thinking so much about it when he's talking and it's interesting like pairing that the and then you can can also hear like you know insects and and the sound of nature and so because they're kind of sitting in this like um it's like a porch. like a like, outdoor yeah like a kind of like yeah. a porch area uh and so you can hear like insects and the wind and trees and stuff like that and then that like pulsing kind of drone and then this guy just kind of like muttering over top of it it's it's amazing <laughs> it's so good all right well uncle boon me who can recall his past lives 
it's streaming and in, in things occasionally so um it usually pops up on like the criterion channel if you have that so cool well going from slow cinema to something that's vastly different from anything you just described <laughs> i'm gonna talk about what's up doc <laughs> hey um this is a 1972 film from the late Peter Bogdanovich. Um, stars Barbara Streisand, uh, Ryan O'Neill, um, a couple uh, Mel Brooks, familiar Mel Brooks faces, Madeline Kahn and Kenneth Mars. I believe this is the first movie that Madeline Kahn is actually in. Um, but yeah, this is a screwball co- comedy. It's 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 one of my favorite types of movies because everything is so. It's fucking stupid. Um, it, no, nothing makes any sense. Everybody is just absurd, and I loved every second of it. Um, the the plot, if if like that's important to you, is um, Ryan O'Neill uh, is has traveled to San Francisco to go to. Oh, I gotta look up real quick. The what is the conference? He's like. <sighs> His like job, he his his whole thing is that he like plays musics with he plays music with these rocks. Yeah, he's he's a musicologist <laughs> from the Iowa Conservatory of Music, and he's coming to uh, this musicology uh, 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 convention in San Francisco because he's trying to uh, he's trying to impress this like millionaire guy who's going to give this grant and he has what's going to get this he's going to get a grant so that he can play all of these prehistoric rocks that like play music um (laughs) that's and so uh he's 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 visiting san francisco with his uh fiance who's played by madeline khan and her name is eunice which is just funny um in itself and when he gets to uh, when he gets to San Francisco, you have like this. This movie takes the whole concept of the MacGuffin from Hitchcock and is like, instead of like one MacGuffin, what if we just have like fifteen MacGuffins? <laughs> 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 just have have stuff that constantly doesn't lead to anything. Um, again, hallmark of like a great movie in my mind. Uh, and so he's so so pretty much four people there's these four identical plaid overnight bags that are just circulating through this hotel one of them is with ryan o'neill's rocks <laughs> one of them is with barbara streisand's character who is pretty much a live action embodiment of bugs bunny who just has like her clothes in it um then you have another uh, another bag that is uh, is owned by this heiress who like has all of these like fancy diamonds in them, and then you have another bag that is is filtering between this one guy and then another guy played by Michael Murphy, and it's like these uh, government documents or whatever these top secret government documents. So for the majority of the movie, it's just these bags getting switched between these different people in the in the, these different places. Um, and really, it's like you have these two like government agents who are trying to get the secret documents from one another. Then you have um, this whole plot with like uh, the concierge and this other this like uh, uh, freelance detective guy who are trying to rob this woman of her diamonds. And then you have Barbara Streisand, who's just there to bug the shit out of Ryan O'Neill. Um, 
this in this movie very much goes down into like the lineage of just bugging the hell out of the main character the main male character i would put it with a new leaf um heartbreak kid just like those types of movies where the main character is just constantly annoyed by somebody and that's where the comedy is um and yeah that's the that's the whole movie is uh everybody's trying to get the the correct bag barbara streisand's trying to annoy ryan o'neill as much as possible um kenneth mars is in it and i love kenneth mars and he plays like this other musicologist who um wants to get his grant so he can like investigate scandinavian composers and so he um he's like in in uh you know he's constantly like butting heads with ryan o'neill's character ryan o'neill's great in this movie because he's like peak just like hot guy but stupid um because pretty much like this whole movie is just a is just a live action looney tunes cartoon and so and and the great thing about it is you have like Barbara Streisand being Bugs Bunny because she's just constantly creating chaos wherever she goes. And then you have Ryan O'Neill who's just kind of just a dumbass the entire time, but also like is kind of trying to keep things like in order. Um, and then Madeline Kahn's character is, is wonderful because she's constantly like kind of breaking that wall of how fucking annoying it would be if you were stuck in like a live action Looney Tune cartoon. Um, and constantly kind of having to break you out of that. I mean, at, at times, like, the Ryan O'Neill's breaking the fourth wall and is, like, talking to you. Um, it has this elongated car chase that goes through all of San Francisco for, like, 20 minutes where all of these cars are going in these different places and everybody's trying to chase each other. And, you're, and they're constantly causing damage where they'll drive over something some, the person will be like oh that's annoying and then three other people will drive over it and then they'll turn around and then drive over it like four more times <laughs> <laughs> and so um yeah this movie's just chaos i loved every second of it it was fucking hilarious sounds, your description of it reminds me of when you described watching bringing up baby is it a similar energy to that yes bringing a baby is a good one too Bringing a baby—that's another one where where just the, where the 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 female lead is annoying the shit out of the male lead. I like if you had a series, it would be What's Up Doc, Bringing Up Baby, The Heartbreak Kid, and A New Leaf of just like the female lead bugging the shit out of the uh, out of the male lead. Um, but it being really really funny. Uh so yeah, no, if you've not seen this, it's like ninety minutes. It's it's um like from start to finish just incredibly funny um it literally ends with like a whole gag with uh looney tunes um yeah fantastic it's on i watched it on hbo max so uh, if you have that um check it out but yeah no it's a it's a good time i was like i was gonna watch <laughs> i was either gonna watch this or deep water the uh, erotic thriller and i was like good choice <laughs> um real quickly i think we got let's look at the time yeah i can make it quick do it i can make it quick do it. Um, i'm gonna talk about after yang which is the latest or the second film from uh koganada koganada who uh i think we're big fans of on the podcast where we talked a lot about columbus which was his uh entry film this one is since the, i've thought about it a lot since watching it it, it, you know, it's def. You can definitely tell it's from the same person, but very much whole different vibe. Um, where that where that one is like a 
I think it feels almost like a sci-fi movie because even though Columbus, um, Indiana, yeah, Indiana, is like a real place, there's something kind of like otherworldly just about like the modern architecture and the things that you're in, like the way that he uh, shoots and frames like these 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 buildings and these works of art. Like it, it kind of it almost feels very otherworldly, and so it's like a sci-fi movie that takes place like in. Um, you know, modern society. This one is is like full on, full like there's no ambiguity. It's full sci-fi. Um, it takes place like in this um, far off future where um, families are able to adopt um, these androids, and so this film kind of kicks off where uh, you have Colin Farrell and Jodie Turner Smith are a married couple. They have a Chinese adopted daughter. And uh, this, I think these androids are there to like provide um, the daughter, or at least their android. I don't know if, again, they don't really go into like the whole sphere of these androids, but this android Yang is there to kind of provide um, cultural facts and just provide history of China to this adopted daughter of theirs. And it's, 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 you know, somewhat of like a kind of a surrogate brother. And so he malfunctions and um, Jake, who is the Colin Farrell character, is trying to find a way to repair him. But the way this company who makes all of these androids is set up, um, it's it's you, you would have to like recycle the robot and have to get a whole new Android. And, and so rather than doing that and, you know, devastating his daughter, he um, finds this alternative method and the alternative method um, will not bring Yang back to, um, you know, the state that he was in where he was functioning, but uh, they, they, they later learn and it's a, it's not worth kind of explaining cause it's very convoluted to a degree. Um, he's he's going to be able to be preserved, but it won't be in the state that they're used to him being in. And so part of that is he has to, they, they access this um, chip inside of him that has all of these memories. And so Colin Farrell spends a lot of time with like this really funny, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a really thin, like the, like the glasses are like this. And it's like these really thin glasses that like allow you to like watch through the memories. It's super funny. Cause he's like sitting on the couch and he like has these like glasses on. Um, and so, um, a lot of the movie is him, is him like seeing these memories and all of them are coming through the, uh, the, the point of view of Yang. And so he's seen a lot of moments between his family and his daughter and things and even moments with him, but through the point of view of Yang. And that's kind of what I would say the gist of the movie is, is you, um, it's just kind of, it's a, it's kind of a contemplation on life through the eyes of somebody else. Um, there, you know, I think it's, I, I, where I was immediately satisfied and on board with Columbus, this one, I kind of, I had some stops and starts with. I think a lot of the, we have to fix this Android plot is kind of boring. <laughs> it's, um, it's a lot of like uh, Colin Farrell just going, well, why can't you fix them? Why can't you fix the, the, the why can't you fix Yang? Um, and like his nice, sexy Irish accent. Um and uh, that's just, I don't know, it kind of, it just drags on. And then it gets like kind of convoluted. You, you, you have like all of these characters and like these relationships with these characters that you're just like, I don't really, we're, it's, they're not, they're kind of half-baked. So I don't really know what 
you know, what to do with it. But then the actual memory portions, I really did like. It feels much more, it feels in, in, um, congruity with like, uh, Koganada's work in like vi- in like the vi- type of video essays that he, he would do, which you know are these kind of like uh, sequence like these scenes and in sequence that he's pulled together, kind of making a point whether it's about Yasuhiro Ozu or Wes Anderson or something like that, where it's kind of like these fragmented moments that are all coalescing to kind of better represent who this this android was and what he was and who this family was through his eyes. Um, and those are really, I think, really kind of moving, powerful moments. There's this, there's a, you really, you have a, like two or three prolonged memory sequences where you like watch through the whole scene. Um, the best one to me is the scene between Yang and the Colin Farrell character. And Colin Farrell's like job that he has is that he makes tea and he sells tea. And so uh, he, uh, there's this whole sequence where Yang is is asking, just asking him about kind of like where he developed this passion for tea and and where you know how he, um, you know what what made him like tea so much to this degree. And Colin Farrell's like explaining it, and he's talking about. Uh, this documentary that he watched that I looked up and is a real documentary that uh, Warner Herzog is in. Um, but uh, it's just like this really, um, that doesn't really like, you're just like, okay, so there's a sequence where he talks about tea for like 10 minutes. And it's like, yeah, like it's this kind of just really human moment um, similar to like what you would expect from like Columbus where like John Cho and Haley Lou Richardson are just kind of walking around um, kind of talking about, you know, connecting each uh, with each other about moments in their life um and you get a lot of that and Haley lou richardson is in this as well she's um i won't talk too much about her role it's not like it's a super secretive thing but i think it kind of she works in later in the movie she's not like somebody that you necessarily meet immediately um and so and so yeah i you know i it was one the more i've thought about it i think i do really i like i i I really like this movie. I don't like it as much as Columbus, but I think um, it was one that I really appreciate, like the direction and the just kind of the like the risk that he not necessarily the risk, but just kind of like it, it's just one of those like indie indie sci fi's, but is that is incredibly detailed and incredibly like thought out, and um, I don't know. I appreciated that so. I think it's you know as as people as folks who are fans of Columbus, I recommend seeing After Yang because I think it's 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 pretty. What good. a wild two weeks for Colin Farrell on the podcast uh, between <laughs> him doing his penguin the, voice. The Batman. <laughs> I love both roles. It's fantastic. No notes. <laughs> I mean, one movie he's. He, his his role was pretty much I'm gonna watch a clip of The Sopranos and just yeah. roll with it. The next week, it's like, um, I don't know. I like tea. Get you a man who can do both. <laughs> yeah. Oh, exactly. Um, no, I'm very proud of my letterbox review, which is um, the whole playing off the whole men would rather blank than go to therapy, and it was men would rather make tea than go to therapy. Which again, I think you guys would appreciate more if you. Uh, I would that. love to see the movie if it would be distributed in a theater near me, um, but unfortunately, that is not the case. Well, it's on. It is on Showtime. So uh, get yourself a nice free uh, free trial to Showtime, and it's available. Mm, good there. point. 
or um you know sail the seven seas <laughs> um all right we're gonna take a quick break and then we will be back talking about anti-fascist youtube videos after this what a transition Cinematary listeners, this is your favorite Filipino podcaster, Jessica Carr. I'm here to let you know about a couple of things that Cinematary offers that you might not know about. First, if you're a fan of what Cinematary is doing, please consider joining us on Patreon. Remember when we weren't clamoring for your dollars? Or now we're just clamoring for five of your dollars. So please help us and donate to our Patreon, and then you'll get exclusive content from our staff, including our film theory and chill series where a panel takes a piece of theory each month and deconstructs it before diving into whatever topic is on their mind from the past week the five dollars each month is investment in the website and the podcast and it goes solely to paying our writers for the reviews each week so please consider doing it it's only five dollars if you missed an episode of cinematary or a piece of writing we've had you should consider signing up for our free newsletter each sunday we send out a note with the latest podcast episode piece of patreon content and the last two reviews that we've written at cinematary.com. It's perfect for those of you who are interested in what's happening and it makes sure that you don't miss a single Cinematary review. Finally, the easiest thing that you can do to help us is to please, please give us a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever else you're using to listen to the show. This helps us get more eyeballs and ears on the podcast and the website, and it helps the people know about Cinematary, which is really what we're here for. So to recap, consider donating to our Patreon, sign up for the free newsletter, and give us a rating or review. We would really appreciate if you could do these things. Thank you for listening, and now back to the show. episode 396 of Cinematary. In this part, we will be continuing our Kaye Do YouTube series with a... Glad we settled on that name. I just settled on that. That was the most clever one. Um, with a collection, uh, a trio of uh, anti-fascist uh, YouTube video essays. Um, but Andrew, I'm going to toss it over to you. Yeah, so the videos we're talking about in this week's episode um, kind of differ from the nature of the ones in last week's episode where, you know, last week we were kind of doing an auteurism thing, looking at a lot of different videos by the same creator and talking about their cinematic style. Um, and here we're more like connecting thematically, you know, we're focusing on a particular thematic interest of this community of like left tube or bread tube or whatever you want to call it. Um and I, Why is it bread? Um, if you, yeah, this is kind of a long, never stupid mind story. Never mind. Never mind. It's a reference to the book. Is, uh, the, just, 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 
I people must want to know. I will say it. Um, the the book is called The Conquest of Bread by uh, Kropotkin, who's like an anarchist philosopher. And uh, people like this, the label actually got ascribed to the community by Reddit. Like there was just a Reddit community where like, hey, look at all these cool lefty YouTube video essays. Let's call them something. And they called them BreadTube because of like, quote unquote, the bread book. And most of the members of that community don't really like that name very much. But anyways, um, I we're kind of. One thing that we're sort of doing in this series is is doing kind of like a rough historical survey of like some of the big names and, and big videos in this um, like, I don't know, wave of, of YouTube culture, I guess. And uh, I, I mentioned last week that the whole thing kind of got kicked off as a reaction to Gamergate in 2014, you know, um, leftists trying to sort of reclaim the, the, the YouTube space for their political side. Um, and with the, the, the Trump administration um, and then especially with the Charlottesville um, rally a, a couple years later, um, like the whole like left tube community really, really rallied around that. Um, and there was just a lot of YouTube videos about like how to recognize fascism. And like the, the first video that is currently listed on ContraPoint's channel is called like um, decrypting the alt-right, how to identify a fascist, I think. Um, and I thought about including that here, but we've already done too much ContraPoint. So um, the, the three videos that we're talking about here are um, Steve Bannon, by Philosophy Tube, a uh, channel run by Abigail Thorne, um, who was then going by a different name um, when she made this um, YouTube video because she's since come out as trans, um, as well as a video called um, Always a Bigger Fish by Ian Danskin, who runs a YouTube channel called Innuendo Studios. Um, that video is actually part of a larger series that I wish we could dedicate a whole episode to, but it would be probably way too long. Um, that series is called The Alt-Right Playbook, and it's kind of like a rhetorical style guide for how conservatives kind of like manipulate political conversations to their advantage. Um, and that is kind of like required reading. I know we're not spending a whole lot of time on it in this episode, we're just talking about one like 20 minute video um but if any of this is of interest to you like you should definitely watch the alt-right playbook it's like some of the best stuff on the youtube platform um, yeah and then I lastly i co-sign that yeah um I, I would say like the crown jewel of uh of the the things we're talking about in the episode today and like may, one of my favorite YouTube videos um, is called Charlottesville, the true alt-right. Um, it is by the YouTuber known only as Sean. Um, and that is an hour long, basically documentary, uh, found footage documentary, um, sort of piecing together the events of the Charlottesville Unite the Right rally using um, live streams that were uploaded by the Nazis who attended the rally themselves. So, um, we can kind of go through this in any order. We can jump back and forth. Um, but yeah, um, where do you guys want to go? We can just let's we'll just we'll just let's just go in the order that you just um, kind of laid sure. them out. Um, yeah, I think that it does make the most sense to start with the Abigail Thorne video um, because it's a really good transition point from ContraPoints last week. Um, I'm sure that you can tell 
um, Zach watching it after, you know, like mainlining all this ContraPoint stuff, that uh, this is like directly influenced from ContraPoints. Like Abigail Thorne is a friend of, of Natalie Wynn, who, aka ContraPoints, and um, um, Abigail used to be making a very different type of YouTube video. They were much more kind of, you know, those the PBS style explainy videos um, that were, um, she cited PBS Idea Channel as her primary inspiration at the time. And then ContraPoints kind of burst on the scene and, and, and changed everything up. And um, Abigail Thorne uh, decided to essentially like, uh, not necessarily mimic, but um, create a new style that was sort of inspired and influenced by what Contra was doing with like the theatrics and the costumes and the characters and the lighting and all that stuff um, as well as the music. One thing I neglected to mention last week is that um, ContraPoint's videos tend to have original scores um, and that the same is true for the... Good classical music picks. I didn't mention that last yeah, week. Yeah, classical music done on like really cool analog synthesizers. Um, so that's really neat. And um, you may have also noticed that that ContraPoints' voice shows up in the the Steve Bannon video um, as a as like a a reader of a quote. That's sort of a convention of the genre. Like people who are in this community of leftist YouTubers, often when they have a, a quote they need to cite, they just get another person from the community to read that quote aloud um, in the video. And so you can kind of like recognize people's voices and maybe even like get turned on to other channels based on who's featured in them, which. Um, in this particular video, there's there's one guest feature that I would not recommend going and checking out her content because it has since gone down the crapper, but um, we don't need to get into that. Um, but Zach, um, I know that this this one felt very theater kitty, I'm sure, like ContraPoints, because uh, Abigail Thorne is also like an actress um, and does, does that on top of the YouTube stuff. Um, but what were your thoughts on this compared to the Contra stuff last week? Uh, it's about the same. This one didn't do much for me. Uh, I think I just... <laughs> I think I just want the information. I don't need you to dress it up, to be honest. Sure. Yeah. That's, that's about the extent of my thoughts. And, and for people who are listening to this who haven't watched the videos, which I'm sure there's plenty, um, the way that it kind of gets dressed up in that video is there's these two characters that uh, Abigail Thorne is playing. There's the, the firefighter and the arsonist. And um, from the perspective of the firefighter, you know, that character is just sort of explaining the the political strategy of Steve Bannon, who um, very recently when the video was made was like chief strategist in the Trump White House, um, but also was kind of like, you know, helping pull a bunch of strings behind the scenes for various far right um, political campaigns around the world. Um, and is like very much a fascist, but is pretty good at concealing that to most people who don't know better. Um, and then the arsonist sections is like a complete fiction, right? It's it's like a, a character kind of existing in another sort of fantastical universe who's just like talking to you, the, the viewer. Um, and so it does feel a stagey or or cinematic or something this also is the only video that we're looking at i think that has a subtitle at the beginning it says like steve bannon a philosophy tube film <laughs> which um i think when i saw that yeah <laughs> um definitely like 
it is maybe like one of the impetuses for me eventually wanting to do this series of like inspired me to start thinking about these like well how is this different than a film um can we can we talk about that rather than the content itself because to, to me not, sure. not because i'm like disinterested in uh in steve bannon but more like that i think that's probably the core of like what the series is and so like to me I, that's what i was trying to think about when i was getting past the you know theater and um so i i get it you know i think it's they're they're trying to shape it as more of like a so if i'm gonna if i'm gonna classify something as a as a film it's not you know it, it's not necessarily it has anything to do with like the production value how it's shot things like that because a lot of that stuff can get um you know you can you can shoot something that's that's quote unquote cinematic for you know tv show or tiktok or something like that i mean that's what the crazy thing about these about iphones and stuff out now are i mean you can shoot stuff like really nicely um, I think more I would define like a movie or a film as something that is like one cohesive linear structure. Like like you have a, a beginning, middle, and end that all takes place within one contained um, contained thing. Um, you know, c- compared to like a TV show, which is broken. You know, which is episodic sure. and things like that. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I guess I understand why um, she would classify this as a as a film um by that definition i didn't think it was a good film <laughs> sure and this was the one of the three that we watched this week that i think has aged the poorest um i there were things about it that i didn't like um as much yeah, as i did when I, I first watched it yeah i um i think that there was uh i think at the time that all of these like came out close to you know each other the three that we watched for this right uh and like i think in that stretch um i think there was maybe uh i think a a feeling of urgency by the people who were making these things that uh maybe gave them um a little bit of room by from everyone else to this idea of like trying to shift this cultural narrative on YouTube or whatever. Like, I think it gave people a lot wider of a berth on terms of like what they would kind of watch and be like, well, that was a little, you know, whatever. And I, I feel, I feel, I felt like that when I was watching the, the, um, Steve Bannon, this one. Yeah. The Steve Bannon one, a, a couple of, I mean, I still think that it's ultimately kind of valuable for the information, but on terms of like, uh, there were things I think when I very first saw it that I thought were, um, that I just didn't really think too much of really. And then when I rewatched it this time, like, especially I found like the end credits bit a little bit like, okay, like, uh, the, there, there are bits about it that I, that I thought were a little like, maybe self-serious to a degree that I didn't love. But I, I think that, like, the thing about the Philosophy Tubes channel in general is that I think that um, she has, like, this really, really funny and, like, sharp sense of humor, right? And I like it when... I think that I like her videos more that sort of, like, lean into that. And the bit, the bits that, um, in this in the Steve Bannon video, that were kind of, like 
brushing up against that still worked really well for me. But for the for the majority of it, I was kind of like, okay, you know, that that was sort of how I like felt about it because I was also trying to think about it like in this with regards to this like as a movie you know what I mean like what bits of it work as a movie what bits of it don't work as a movie or or as a film and she is like taking it very seriously as like a I'm creating a work of art I'm creating like absurdist theater or something here and like for me there's there's a spectrum of like how much of that I mean for everybody there's a spectrum of like how much of that is going to be tolerable and I think that Contra almost always is like right on like in, in like the sweet spot for me and for Philosophy Tube I think that the the stuff with the arsonist is about as far as I'm willing to go. And and then like at the end of the video when she's singing um, Why We Build the Wall from Town, which I'm actually very grateful for because this is the video that um, that taught told like essentially um, showed me Hades Town. Like I got super into Hades Town um, after watching this, um, so I'm grateful for for that reason. But I think that you know her performance of that song is like way too self serious at the end of this thing. Yeah, I think I think describing it as like um, as kind of like theater, like I guess for the context of this series, um, bad movies. But if it's theater, I think that makes that makes more sense because if you think about it, like, um, yeah. like you're adding your information dumping to a degree with like just kind of explaining the path of Steve Bannon, his rise to prominence, um, which that, that, that stuff, you know, is fine. But then like the need to add this performance element to it, like it, 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 it like that staginess it becomes less of like a cohesive narrative and more of like performance art, which is, which is fine, but that's just not what we're talking about. I think it's partially a side effect of like the, again, like the material conditions of it being created, because these are all things that are being made by like one person in their apartment. Right. And they are trying to be very, um, you know, artistically ambitious with like um, the lighting and the costuming and all that stuff. But ultimately like they have these um camera rigs that they can't take out of their house um particularly conveniently so the way to do that is to make it essentially theater where you have just characters like sitting in a room talking to each other and um you know both this and one of the contrapoints videos we didn't talk about um are kind of directly inspired by a specific strain of like absurdist theater um this one uh, the Steve Bannon video is inspired by a play called The Arsonists, um, and there's a ContraPoints video that's inspired by the play Rhinoceros by Eugene Ionesco, which is an amazing play. Um, so they are kind of operating more in a theatrical mode than a cinematic mode, but just because it's like recorded video, it, it kind of falls under the realm of cinema by definition, I guess. Well, and I think this is a good like trio because if we're also looking at... I understand also the need to... Um kind of do something with the information in order to it's you know kind of edutainment you gotta make well, it snappy well, 
Well, yeah, I mean, I get that. I have to, I have to reckon with that on a daily basis. Of how can, how can we get this, how can we get this information in, that people need to know into their brains in a way that, that that they'll actually engage with and not just you know like eyes go into the back of their heads. And like this one, I think goes like way too, like goes very far into the like let's 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 make it entertaining. Because I think like the next one we're going to talk about is a nice happy medium. Because I think that's a, you know, you have this kind of. Um, it's it's literally animating the whole you know the information that you're getting, but it does it in a way that I don't think it's I think it's the perfect degree of animation where it's not too flourishy, but it's also giving you the information that you do that you need to know. There is kind of a divide too, where I think that there are some people who make videos in this space. Uh, the the contrapoints is one of them. Philosophy Tube is another, um, where it's very much on that wavelength of it being like we're doing a performance thing mm. but there's the even other... like a an usher coming on stage to give you like here's the egg the exit is to the far left right yeah on the on the other side though i think that the um <laughs> i think that there are lots of people operating in this that i think it's it's easier to just think of it more like documentary um which is kind of like what the third thing we're going to talk about is but um a lot of a lot of to me the most like the I engage with these in kind of a different way like I typically the first time that I watch these things it's normally like while I'm at work and I have it like running in the background you know what I mean and I'm like listening to it and then we'll go back and if if I liked it or something I'll watch it again later or something like that but like the stuff that hits and lands best for has always landed best for me and continues to do so now is the stuff that leans more into the documentary style, I guess, as opposed to the the per- performance style. Um, and so, um, so I definitely see like where that could rub against. I, I I think that it's kind of one of those things where it's like a trying to get butts and seats type of thing. And obviously there was a very, very high uh, level of, like, um, response, like, positive response to, like, the way that um, the videos on the ContraPoints channel were being received. And so, like, I think that some people were just going to inevitably chase down that whole rabbit hole, whereas other people kind of do other things. And so on, on the whole thing of, like, talking about what, what it is a movie or a film or whatever. Uh, I don't know. It, it, it is kind of, it's kind of interesting because it reminds me a little bit of like, oddly enough, like the like Hideo Kojima video game thing, right? Like he's the first person who ever, in, in a video game, it popped up and said directed by Hideo Kojima, right? Uh, he was the first person to ever do that. Now that's like a pretty common ter- term is to say like, you know, a game has a director. Um, but at the time it wasn't. He was the first person who did that. And he, oddly enough, is one of the people that's like, video games aren't art. <laughs> but but yeah. he's like, put put directed by... Yeah, and I don't uh, think Abigail Thorne puts the A film by Abigail Thorne on her videos anymore. But it was like kind of a ballsy swing, um, you know, and and I think that worth doing, right? From the perspective of a cat Kaye do YouTube, um, like really asking the viewer to engage in with this medium in a different way. Um, 
But I think we should probably transition to talking about the second video because you've already kind of got into it a little bit, Zach. Um, so always a bigger fish from Innuendo Studios slash Ian Danskin. This is a video that for a long time isn't really about fascism. It's about, because he says at the beginning, like, okay, so in this series, if you've been watching the series, we've talked about what Democrats seem to believe. We've talked about what fascists seem to believe. We've talked about what nihilists seem to believe. Let's talk about what quote-unquote conservatives seem to believe. And so most of it is about a um, unpacking of like the underlying assumptions of the Republican specifically ideology. Um, and then it like by the end of it, it kind of becomes about fascism um, in the same way that the Steve Bannon uh, video is like, well, here's what this guy claims he believes, but here's what is like actually the philosophy that ties it all together and it's like almost indistinguishable from fascism um so that's the argument that's being made and well and more and i think in, in a more interesting way how how it's you can say they're different but the logic in between is so flimsy that it, it lends itself to become the other thing yeah he says like something at the end where like i'm not saying that the conservative ideology is fascism, but it's an ideology that fascism maps onto in a way that, you know, leftism, like, doesn't. Um, because, like, the main, um, like, philosophical distinction that he's making is, like, leftist politics generally are trying to um, redistribute power um, and, and make more of, like, flat, flatten hierarchies, um, whereas more right-wing politics is generally attempting to consolidate power and create hierarchies, um, whether those hierarchies are based on race, class, gender, whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. Essentially, like, the established power structure, which is, like, a very specific race, class, gender, etc., um, but this is, like Zach mentioned, in, like, a kind of almost flash animation style where he just, like, draws these little stick figures and, and has them not necessarily, like, moving, but kind of, like, popping here and there to illustrate different ideas. Um, but um, I don't know. What are y'all's thoughts on this? Looking at this as, like, a, a visual – through, like, a visual lens. Like, as a short, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like a short film, I think it were. It's, you know, it, it does work. I think because even though it's it's part of a um, multi, multi-video multi series, it very much can kind of live on its own. That, that's the same with the other ones that you described. I think the other one that's really good is the the one about Democrats, the, we, the you know, they go, they go we low. go high, yeah. they go low. It's really, I love that video. It's super, yeah. is really, really good. <laughs> um, but I think just as like self-contained um shorts like absolutely i think it's i think it's you know i think there's a a cohesive beginning to end structure that i think would qualify it as i guess under the definition of film um it's not like he ne- he's necessarily he leaves everything i guess on the table you know it's it, you don't you don't feel like he's ever really he's leading you into other other videos but you feel like you're getting a you know first second third act type situation as you're watching the the 20 minutes so yeah very good. i mean um, in terms of like the structure and how it's distributed it is more similar to a tv show 
than a movie just because it's episodic and you know it's called a playbook i almost feel like i'm reading through chapters of a nonfiction anthology or something um he also has videos that he calls footnotes or end notes i think um so of the three things we're talking about today like this is the one that feels the least like cinema to me but i still wanted to kind of have the alt-right playbook represented and kind of um have it in there as like another point on the line of like different ways of dealing with this particular thematic concern of the community yeah i think i i think i mostly agree with that like it, it it's like it is maybe the least like cinematic or whatever but i i do think that it still is like i think it does as zach was saying kind of work as a short on terms of it having this like here's where we're starting with like this fictional conversation let's talk about like the you know what's happening in between here and then it has a very clear like here's where we're wrapping up uh and the um like the animated elements of it are nice Uh, it seems to be like put together well and all that type of stuff really accessible and i think that's kind of the point of the entire uh, it may be of innuendo studios channel in general is just like well and so like to compare it to the one we just talked about in the last episode it's the i guess this version of the flourishes the animation is not is not like pulling you away from the information or trying to like over you know like over emphasize it it's just clarifying it's 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 going i'm giving you the information but this is also reaffirming it to you instead of just kind of going like as you described before like into the absurd just to kind of really you know overemphasize the point that it's making and uh, i think there is kind of a danger in looking at these video essays through the lens of this podcast where, you know, we're a a podcast that evaluates films and kind of like passes judgment on what films we think are good and bad and all that stuff. Um, Whereas like if you, if you look at these video essays through that lens, um, if you're only evaluating them for like, well, how close to cinema are they? How cinematic are they? Um, I think you're, you're, we may be like at, at risk of missing the point, right? Where I would say that the philosophy tube video is way more cinematic than this video, but I think this video is way more successful at what it's trying to do than the philosophy tube video. Because like ultimately, what all these creators are trying to do is the way I've heard it described is they're standing on a street corner handing out pamphlets, right? And instead of handing out like copies of the Communist Manifesto, Manifesto, they're doing these little, sometimes bite-sized, sometimes feature-length, um, little edutainment things in order to like hook people in and get people thinking and ultimately push people further left. And I think the alt-right playbook does that better than almost yeah. anybody. It's yeah. very very good at that. And, I, <laughs> and that's yeah. and, and that's why like I began this by exp- by maybe um, giving a very dumb explanation of what is a film, what is a TV show, yeah, you know, that kind of stuff. Just because, yeah, I think you know if we're gonna qualify, if we're gonna like qualify it under those terms, like it fails. But that doesn't mean the ideas are you know incorrect or or um, not well um, explained. It's just you have this performance element that's that's you know you have to kind of, at least on the terms that we're looking at it you have to assess so we have anything else to say about the all right playbook vid before we move on to our final one it's the it's the best one if you want to just like throw it at somebody yeah no, honestly <laughs> it's like inc- inc- incredible at being able to be like 
Uh, I feel like I remember hearing this somewhere before. You know, that kind of thing. Yes. Uh, it's really, it, really, really good. And at if that. you watch all the alt-right playbook videos, like, they are, um, they do a amazing job at, like, kind of recontextualizing political discourse. Like, when I, when I hear my wife have an argument with her dad, I will notice, like, oh, he's doing this strategy from the alt-right playbook. Um, and, like, he's probably not aware of the fact that he's using that rhetorical strategy, but, like, there are hallmarks to um, how political discourse tends to work, and uh, I think clarifying is a good word for, for how what this thing does. Um Anyways, last video on our list, um, Charlottesville, The True Alt-Right by Sean. Um, Sean is a video essayist who um, tends to, he's almost like a podcaster more than anything else. Like most of his YouTube videos have almost nothing going on visually at all. Like they are often just a black screen with like a kind of grayed out skull. Like his icon is like a skull with sunglasses on just hanging out in the background. I think this was a thing for a lot of like the gamer gator, um, like right wing YouTube videos back in like 2014. A lot of them would like have these little cartoon mascots that would be on screen, like explaining why SJWs are dumb or something. And I think Sean, maybe I'm, I'm guessing here was like doing his own version of that to kind of cater to that audience. Oh yeah. No, he specifically did okay. it as like a mockery. That's good. It. Yeah. That was, that was um, the whole. Thing. So like usually yeah. the only thing that's happening visually is that. And then maybe he'll like throw a quote up on screen, which can make his videos kind of hard to watch. Um, if, unless you are just kind of like letting them play in the background. Um, he actually has, you know, to get an idea of like, you know, the, the denseness and like just the, the audio focus of Sean's videos. He has a two and a half hour video essay called the bell curve. Um, that is like debunking that whole like pseudoscience book about like, you know, intelligence being distributed along the bell curve. And it's just him like pulling quotes from the book and then pulling like scientific studies and debunking them. And like, it's very droll. Um, but it is very amusing if you get on his wavelength. Um, and the Charlottesville uh, video is, I think, pretty um, unique in Sean's catalog in that it is so visual. Like, I do feel like I'm watching a found footage documentary. Like, I know there's a documentary, I forget what it's called, that's like the hour leading up to 9-11 or something, or maybe the hour after 9-11 um, using like cell phone footage from people who are on the, the you know street level. Um, and I feel like I'm watching something like that. Um, when I'm watching this. Um, and I actually really like certain things about the the digital, like, data moshy graininess of the footage. Um, that's, like, definitely not, wasn't, like, created with any sort of artistic intent because it's just, like, Nazis live streaming or whatever. But it feels kind of, like, appropriately gross and also appropriately, like, it feels like the digital world and the physical world are colliding in this really hideous way. Um, and... Um, yeah, Zach, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Um, I know you've watched it before and like it, um, but you also mentioned off mic that uh, you also watched the Vice documentary about Charlottesville, which does get quoted at a couple points in, in Sean's video. And I'm curious like what you make of the differences between the video that's made by a, um, an outlet like Vice versus a video that's made by a tiny creator like Sean. Yeah, uh, Sean 
Better journalism yeah. than this one. No, it really it is. <laughs> Better journalism. It's amazing. It's good, yeah. it's, good, it's good journalism in this one. I mean, I think that, yeah, it's out of the three. It, that's why I say it's, it, we had a good trio because, you know, all, like you take all of the theatrics of the first one and it's just all cut down for this one. It's, it's this is just the raw data, yeah, right? This, <laughs> this, this, this. I think the cl- the closest thing you could probably associate it to is like a Frederick Wiseman or <laughs> like documentary or something like that. Just because it's it's just very bare bones. But I think to me, to me personally, I think that that this is the only an optimal way to assess this type of content because i think that um you run the risk of of sensationalizing it by adding that 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 absurdist flourish to it like contrapoints and like philosophy tube um not that they're actively trying to do that i just think that that should like you you kind of um it's just the way that you engage and this this one i think strips it down so that it, like yes it's it can be kind of um dull and boring and i say that not as a slight to it but it's just like it's stripping this down to go this is just this is just the nuts and bolts of this there's nothing there's nothing fantastical about anything that these people are doing um and so let's get to like let's just get to the bare there's nothing stuff. like cool or entertaining about exactly. it exactly right right and 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 something that the that this like this video does really well is like because his register is so level and he's he's like talking so matter of factly all the time and just being like here's a thing I found hey check this out here's like the uh, the submission to have a protest that I pulled from city hall and stuff like that right and since all of that is so you know you know operating at that level when the i mean just straight up bile that some of these people kind of spew at times when it does when you hear it it like punches through really hard because you're like oh my god like you know you're in the middle of listening to something that's on this energy level and he will even say at times like you know just a fair warning this is you know pretty intense to hear people say or whatever he invites his watchers to skip yeah. ahead if they um, don't want to hear some of the the rougher stuff well well and i think and i think that the the thing the thing that you learn about um people like who he's documenting in this is that they they really thrive off of the reaction like they're like they sit there they, like that's how they thrive they thrive off you they want to trigger you know. the lips exactly yeah. and so like this is that's that's why i say this is the optimal way to handle this this subject because it's because it's not it's not being true it's just going this is like like i was super i was incredibly impressed with his breakdown of the um the different how how the police failed to situate the the protest and the counter protest really in the good zones. journalism there because, yeah <laughs> it's super it's super fantastic because because i think it's really easy to be like the police are fucking you know pigs and we hate police and they're you know we're anti-police that and just kind of getting into this very like leftist rhetoric and it's like no like let's just break down like just the basic you know mi- you know basic 
poor job that they did. And so you naturally are like, oh yeah, they're just inept, not because of any any fantastical rhetoric. No, it's just here is why they're like like they failed this entire day because they they didn't understand the plan. The the other agency did not understand the plan because the other the police didn't understand the plan. And so the, it, it just again it's it's just kind of it's dull journalism. But I'm like, no, it's explaining exactly how this was all set up. It wasn't because of anything sensational it's just it's as as with anything it's just an aptitude well that that, i have also seen the vice documentary and one one of the things that i mean the thing to me that stands out as the most different and the most the thing that i give like major points to sean here as opposed to the vice documentary is i feel like because of because he was so inundated in like internet culture already and had already kind of like figured out you know the you know the stupidity of it as opposed to like this shocking thing or whatever um the vice documentary makes these people like seem very 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 scary like and 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 very 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 dangerous and i don't hear their exactly which isn't to say that they can't also be dangerous which because they obviously can um you know, someone Heather Heyer was killed at Charlottesville because of stupidity and danger mixing together. But like, um, <clears throat> like Sean's thing is more highlighting the like that these are like petulant. It's petulance. It's not like it's not this like they aren't this like uh, super well organized, well oiled machine that is you know organically doing all this stuff, and we're not playing like a low drone behind them every time they talk, and we're not like interviewing them and letting them just like say all this crap and and you know cut to our journalist who is acting all scandalized when she hears it like instead he is just like these are a bunch of dweebs who gathered around in a park and got to some stupid shit and like let, let me tell you how that stupid shit was permitted to happen basically because if you present them as like these dangerous edgy villains like there's a certain brand of online guy right who is really attracted yeah. to them. I love that. Right? So, but if you portray them as losers, um, that, and, and he doesn't even really have to portray them that way because they just are. Like, he just lets them speak for themselves. Right. Like, shows their well, life. I think, here's I, how they... I think one of... Which, yeah. Which is, which is very... Which is... It's kind of a perfect contrast to, like, what Cam's describing with the Vice documentary because they also let them talk, but... Um, even though it's a little bit different because, you know, he, Sean's not face to face with them having to react to what they're saying. Um, like the vice, the, the vice reporter, she doesn't do a great job because she, that, like that, their whole goal is to just kind of, they want you to react from what you're seeing and that to be your takeaway. Um, she, she, they, she never really makes an effort to, whenever, um, Chris Cantrell like says something and she never like counteracts it. She just kind of lets him say it and go and lets you, the viewer go, Oh, like that's terrible for him to say that. That's terrible. You know, that's the only person here who has not seen the vice documentary is the basic like thrust or argument of that video. Like check out how scary these guys are. Um, because it seems like here, it's, it's, it's check out how scary this, this whole 
Avengers. I mean, yeah. The, 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 it, yeah, I mean, the, the whole the whole torch sequence is yeah. terrifying. It is made out to be like very, very, very spooky and sensational. Which, I mean, to be fair, it it's not a good thing. I'm no, not saying that no. it's good that be like. No, it was, but it, it was a very it, scary, it, thing. and it is scary. But like, so, uh, there's this thing that that gets knocked around where people will like. Go use this uh, this like phrase that that like fascism is a loser ideology, right? Like, and it, it's that what makes it so dangerous is in in this space is that it is for like losers and like all that shit who kind of like get around each other and then get empowered by this energy that's coming off of people who are acting very scared of them and then like get up to some stupid shit. But there are people who are scared of them for very good reason. That's not to diminish that, but like the, the, but I guess my point is they didn't need vice's help to like look spooky. You know what I mean? But the vice documentary absolutely does like use musical cues and like all this type of shit and like just leave some things hanging that are supposed to just simply shock you or make you feel scared, which is, you know, whatever. It's not, it's not a good thing that these people are here, but it's, it's not like, um, like one of the things that stands out to me that I really like in, in Sean's documentary thing is that he has that whole bit of like where one of these morons like thinks he's been pepper sprayed and he doesn't know (laughs) and he's like crying and yelling for help and then his other idiot friends convince him to spray soap in his own (laughs) eyeballs and then he does it and he's like crying and screaming for help and all this and he sean like sets aside like two straight minutes of showing this because it's pathetic it's stupid it makes you it makes the guy look like a goon and he also shows the guy that like at one point the guy's just like uh are you sure this will work? And the other it's guys, just like, yeah, so. yeah. So. <laughs> it's just so. But and then there's the other thing where he makes sure to highlight the guy that like got caught out by himself alone, and he's scared of all of the counter protesters. So he pretends he <laughs> pretends he was just there to, for fun and takes all of his clothes off, and everybody is like sitting there making fun of him and like stuff like that. I feel like is what gives this kind of an edge that the Vice One kind of like lacked because the vice one is trying to be edgier and like trying to be more punchy and and yeah well it's it's and it's it's really inserting itself into the um the situation yes, yeah. i mean it like like it, like it like like it doesn't they have a reporter there face to face with people and it doesn't do i mean and you can and you can be involved in i mean think about something as like iconic in terms of like being involved in a documentary as like Harlan County USA um, but I mean, at this point with this one, she's, you know, she's one involved in the situation and two, never really countering it or challenging anything. She's their whole goal is just to let you soak it well, in. The, um, and the it's reason just, I it's, asked about the yeah. ultimate goal of the, of the vice documentary is that I think that Sean's goal is goes a little above and beyond just hey look at these people I mean he, he is just showing us what went down at Charlottesville on a certain level but he's also making a, a broader more abstract argument about the way that people conceal their true political intentions right he's uh, going back and forth between this guy James Alsup who was there like his video after the fact where he's trying to kind of backpedal and make him like cover up for himself versus the thing Things that he actually did and said at the rally. And I think that's sort of the thing that ties 
all these videos together. It's sort of a common theme with like a lot of left tube videos about fascism. And that has been really eye-opening for me, frankly, like to recognize the way in which, you know, most, a, a lot of political actors do not believe what they say they believe, right? They they are obfuscating their true intentions. Um, and like Steve Bannon does this, um, the, the, you know, always a bigger fish guy is talking about, you know, the hierarchical assumptions behind like almost every Republican talking point. Um, and then of course, like even people as, as malicious, like obviously villainous as neo-Nazis will try to play defense for um, their own optics. And once, I think that like, I mean, it, I'm not going to speak for everybody, I guess, but that was a big uh, shift for me. Like once I started to kind of see beyond what somebody was saying and, and kind of thinking about what are they not saying, what are they actually meaning? And it kind of like shifted the way that I think about and engage with politics um, just generally. I, I think another like strength of, of this thing you were mentioning about like going above and beyond of just displaying it or whatever is that the the Vice documentary that we're kind of comparing this to also sort of has that feeling of, like, a lot of those, like, you know, circa 2016 liberals have just now sort of seemed to figure out that there are racists or something. Like, it has that energy of, like, where did these people come from? Who even knows? And I think... Do you guys know about yeah, this shit? And then it, I, I think to the to the credit of, of of Sean's video, it's very, very good about being like, yeah, it's this guy. He's been around forever. Yeah. This guy's been, I did he's been running this website. Here's, yeah, the, here's been, what it's been been up running to. this website yeah. for like 10 years. Yeah, he's right there. That's him. Uh, you know, and like, dude, I I think going back to the to the thing about it, like as a movie, like what, what and watching it as like And I think this one like, like unequivocally is. Like to, to me, yeah. this feels like a movie. I think I agree with that. I, I think that this one just feels like a docu- like a, a journalist documentary thing um, that is very similar to things that you see about all kinds of like, you know, civil or social problems or whatever. And um, whether or not that was his intention, I don't know. But I think it can be I think it can be like watched that way and appreciated that way. And I, I agree with you too about the whole like the fact that he had to find like re upload of a re upload of a stream that got pulled down. And so all the, a lot of there's like some crazy like digital artifacting and like data mosh that's just like tearing these images apart, like when he's just showing them. And it's like it's great because it feels so grimy. Like when it's like showing those bits, like you were saying. And I think that it has like value there on terms of not just being like, you know, a video essay, but also working as like a documentary film. It's like an, an artifact. Yeah. Um, Zach, anything else about this video or, or any of the videos we've talked about today? No, I recommend can't recommend the first one the other two though <laughs> um, I, I, I highly recommend because uh, i the 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 only thing i'll the thing i'll i'll end on is i i agree i think both of them in in even broadly the anti the alt-right playbook um in like the whole series are good ways to reconfigure how to think about um political discourse all right well, that will wrap up this episode of Cinematary. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cinematary on Letterbox or on Twitter and Instagram at handle at cinematary and on Letterbox at letterbox.com slash cinematary where we post all the movies um, 
that we talked about in this episode. Thank you. Head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash cemetery. Thank you to our patrons, Cam. Hey. <laughs> Chad Newsom, Corey Willingham, Harry Eskin, Candace and Ron Hayes, Teresa Marstathi, uh, Titus Arthur, Tyler Chandler, and Whitney Rio Ross. Thank you so much for your patronage. Uh, next week, Andrew, what we got? Um, next week, we are looking at a, a collection of YouTube videos that won an award. Um, it won the Hugo Award. Um, I forget what for, what the title of that award was. Um, I think it was for a documentary. Yeah, for best documentary. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's a three YouTube videos by the YouTuber Lindsay Ellis, um, who has just recently retired from YouTube uh, because of a lot of harassment she was getting. Um, but they are... Um, videos about the Peter Jackson's Hobbit movies, um, and I wanted I wanted to I've also seen those like present this as like a representation of like how um, maybe like the pinnacle of what YouTube media criticism can look like um, because a lot of like lefty YouTube video essays and just like YouTube video essays in general, like the video essays on cinematary cemetery's YouTube channel just function as like, here's an analysis of this piece of art and how it works. Um, but Lindsay Ellis and other creators like her usually kind of use that as an opportunity to also talk about like the political underpinnings of the work of art. And, and for this one specifically, she's kind of talking about the creation of the work of art, which required her to fly to New Zealand and like interview people who worked on the film. And it, it, it truly does feel like the amount of effort that would go into like a feature length documentary, but it's just three YouTube videos. So, um, we will look at, um, all three of those. I think they all have different titles. Um, so I don't know off the top of my head what their titles are, but Lindsay Ellis's Hobbit trilogy, um, is next week. Do we have to watch the Hobbits as well? I would not recommend it. Um, yeah, in fact, don't. <laughs> yeah. All right. Until next week. See you then.